Eagles Entertainment. Everything that moves, I don't care who it is. Let's go. Give me everything you got. Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. Go. It's party time. It's party time. Let's go. You are listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Brand Duffy. That's right. Another day. And we're looking ahead to a week three matchup against the Bucks as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast continues. I'm Fran Duffy. And as always, I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 456. At the top of today's show, we've got Chalk Talk, where I chat with my friend Ben Fennell about the Eagles week three opponent. That's the Tampa Bay Bucks. Todd Bowles uh, back as the head coach, second year down there in Tampa. Uh, and he's bringing that defense once again. And they were one of the best third down pressure schemes in football a year ago. So we're going to take a look at a sample size uh, uh, of some of their third down pressures from last year in the second half of the season. Just our general takeaways going into this season, what to expect from the Bucks on that side of the football. Before we get there, I want to remind everybody once again, make sure you are subscribed to this channel wherever you get your podcasts. And if you can, Head on over to Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating, leave us a comment. If you're enjoying this series, or if, you're, if you've got questions about the Eagles going into training camp or about the team going into the season, that is the place to leave them over on Apple Podcasts, and we will answer it here on an upcoming episode if you've got a question about the team or the season in general. That said, let's get into this chat with Ben. It's time now for Chalk Talk. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. All right, time to welcome in Ben now for Chalk Talk as we uh, dive into the Eagles' Week 3 opponent, Ben, the Tampa Bay Bucks. And you and I, were we were talking after last week's episode about Minnesota, and we're like, all right, it's the Bucks." And you were very quickly, yeah, we got to talk about that Todd Bowles like, pressure package. And uh, I think the numbers bear that out, that this is a, a unit that is definitely worth talking about in this area of the game. Well, it's definitely one of their signatures. It's one of their uh, philosophies and their MOs as a defensive unit and really as a team structure. Um you know, and the creativity I think Todd Bowles deploys on third and mediums and long is some of the more creative and interesting stuff to dive into. So obviously they don't always get into that perfect down and distance to deploy all those creative schemes and the area of the season we're looking weeks eight to 18. They went through a little bit of an identity crisis after that Shaq Barrett injury, which was their premier one on one pass rusher, had to get even more creative. So I think it was a lot of fun to kind of dive into the back half of the season and to kind of project forward. You know, why a team like this would take Kalai Jacansi in the first round and, you know, what they're looking to improve heading into 2023 as they moved on from a lot of those aging players the year before, the Indomitian Sues, the JPPs, uh, you know, players like that. So I think they're trying to turn the leaf and uh, really kind of depend a lot more on those young players they've drafted early, like the Logan Halls and uh, yep. you know players like that. I, I think it's very well said. And, you know, one of the reasons why, just again, looking back at the numbers on uh, what made this such an interesting facet of that defense, you know, last year they ranked third in the NFL in third down blitz percentage, 43.8%. Over the course of the season, they ranked first in the league with 15 sacks on third down. They were fifth in EPA per play on those third down blitzes. So when you look at their ability to get after the quarterback, and, and really to, to me, Ben, there are a lot of different ways that they did it. You mentioned, uh, you know, the necessity kind of breeds creativity, right? They had to get creative after losing Shaq Barrett. Uh, they had a lot of young players in there, some that are kind of stepping up to the plate and others I think they'd want to get a little bit more out of at this point. You mentioned the addition of Kalijah Kansi in the draft this year. They're hoping that gives them a little bit of a boost. But at the end of the day, you know, like Todd Bowles, they're going to put pressure on you uh, mentally and then physically, right? So, um, you know, whether that's like 
A-gap looks, those double mug looks with two linebackers standing up over the center, uh, a variety of stunts. They were one of the, the more uh, uh, effective teams in stunting on third down. And then also just like moving pieces around. You saw defensive tackles lined up uh, off the line of scrimmage at linebacker depth, linebackers up on the line of scrimmage. They could be creative in a lot of those different ways, and that, that puts a lot of stress on you as an offense. Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of the stunting and things, you saw some creative uses from Devin White, which his usage, we're seeing a lot more around the NFL, the, you know, Tremaine Edmonds and these long, explosive second-level players. But they kind of need setup men as far as being pass rushers. They're long, they're athletic, they're crazy explosive. They don't really have a deep arsenal of pass rush moves. So you see White blitzing from depth a lot, worked into a lot of stunts, not only just those fire X's with Levante David, but he's stunting with defensive tackles. He's stunting with defensive ends. Sometimes it's from depth. Sometimes he's mugged up in the B gap, but I just love finding different ways to tap into holy crap, explosive players. So while white isn't a pure pass rusher, we all know that, you know, a former five-star running back going to LSU, he is not a one-on-one pass rush demon, but how do you tap into a crazy explosive player? stunts and loops and games and they don't all have to look the same and i think todd bulls does a great job of finding ways to tap into that uh you know that physical freakness that devin white brings yeah you know this wasn't a, a devin white play this was actually a, a levante david play um you saw this the sack that he had against the new orleans saints where levante david is lined up in the left b gap the offensive left b gap over so he's over the left guard uh and vita vea is lined up back where a linebacker typically yeah. is lined up. And so uh, Vita Vea, he's blitzing from depth. The running back, Alvin Kamara, he's in the backfield, and he's like, where are my eyes supposed to be? Uh, and he just does not pick up the blitzing linebacker. And David, who is lined up as a defensive tackle, essentially, uh, in the B-gap, uh, and David comes in scot-free. And again, like it's those kind of things where, yeah, like, Kamara should have picked up the linebacker, right? Like he he should have picked up uh, Levante David there, but uh, his eyes are in the wrong place. And again, it's about putting stress on you as an offense. And so um, finding ways to kind of lean into Devin White and his athleticism, finding ways to get like Mike Edwards and Antoine Winfield involved in the pressure schemes. We saw a lot of those A-gap pressures present uh, on this cutup that we watched. Um, yeah, I, I think that's one of the, the hallmarks of this defense and of this pressure scheme is trying to utilize a lot of these athletes. It was a lot of nickel, as I would say, like a 95% nickel, probably more than that, right? That we watch mm-hmm. uh, very few base snaps in terms of, in terms of these third down pressures. Um, but you know, when you've got those lighter bodies on the field, just finding ways to be able to utilize that speed. Yeah. I noted over and over again, defensive tackle from depth, defensive yeah. tackle from depth, whether that was Akeem Hicks or Logan Hall or Vita Vea. And a lot of those pressures when that defensive back is, or excuse me, defensive tackle is from depth. It's not exotic or creative or something that this league hasn't seen but it stresses the mental side of the protections because essentially you're switching a lot of those defensive tackles from depth roles. You're switching the linebacker and defensive tackle spots. So you'll a lot of times see Levante David and Devin white mugged up in the B gap over the guard and the big guy from the second level. Well, from a protection standpoint, do you count him as a down four or do you leave that linebacker to the running back or the tight end? Like you traditionally would. So it really throws you off mentally. And I saw a lot of those free hitters and protection breakdowns, not because the scheme was exotic, because the protection didn't have their eyes in the right place, like you had mentioned with Kamara on that play. So I think a lot of it was trying to kind of attack them mentally, not so much, you know, get through that free hitter because it's an exotic, creative, disguised blitz, but it puts so much stress on your thinking pre-snap because of the creative looks and the different fronts 
that Todd Bowles seemingly has an endless supply of. Yeah, I think that was certainly one of the big aspects of what they were trying to do is just, you know, the, the utilization of all those guys and even to uh, some of those edge rushers as well. Uh, one guy that did stand out to me and, you know, again, like having not, not having watched like every single down of every single play, every single team, uh, you're kind of like reading between the lines and reading coverage and uh, of of certain teams around the NFL. I didn't watch a ton of bucks last year, but it felt like um, the one guy that people were disappointed with was uh, Joe Tryon, uh, the, the first round pick back in 2021. Um, he was fresh off that uh, where he completely opted out that final season of Washington. And remember that first that first game against uh, who was it they played week one? Dallas. It was uh, the, the, his first NFL game he came in he played alongside jpp and shaq barrett and there were some really good reps of him uh getting after quarterback dak prescott we're like man like all right like this guy looks like he's got something you mentioned they move on from jason pierre paul last year so it looks like tryon's got that that ability to kind of step in and really to you know take the uh the bull by the horns there and i know from a production standpoint he kind of fell short but there were a number of times where i noted like he was the primary pressure pressure player and it wasn't because like oh yeah look at what they opened up it was him you know winning a one-on-one against the left tackle against the left guard and then kind of finding ways to get him one-on-one and then allowing him to go win yeah he did lead the team in pressures last year so yeah. he, you know it wasn't for you know lack of not contributing but i think you know that 2021 he was able to be that complementative player which is exactly what you want from a young developing yep. you know player in the league and you kind of come in on your third downs and pick your battles then he gets the keys of the car last year especially when shaq barrett goes down but he was just a sophomore on top of having a kind of inexperienced college career, as you had mentioned, you know, having sat out and missed the whole year. So I think developing was just a little bit earlier than he was ready for. So I think it's all the extra stuff, the timing, the snaps, the counter moves, the, you know, knowing how to attack certain tackles and studying them during the week and all those other things that you kind of need from the the vets and the the, the experienced players. You need it now from a young player. And I think that kind of, you know, accelerated the developmental curve of him. And at times it looked a little raw, which he still is. And at times he showed he's an explosive long player that deserved the 32nd overall pick just two years ago. So I think it's, you know, it's asking a lot of a young player like that, but same thing with Logan Hall. You know, he was a rookie last year, probably didn't live up to their expectations and they needed him to. And I think same thing with Kalijah Kansi and some other guys, Yaya Diaby that they drafted this year. There's some high expectations for these young guys to contribute they didn't go dipping in free agency to say, you know what, let's find a hired gun pass rusher. No, there's some pressure on these guys. They drafted early and they expect them to play. Yeah. Uh, what did you have any uh, big takeaways like from a, a coverage standpoint? It definitely felt, and this is the case when we when you like kind of do a fine focus, right? When it's like, all right, we're gonna look at all third down blitzes, right? There's a couple layers there in terms of uh, situational football of like, all right, like it's a, a very uh, small sample size on a per game basis. We're talking like a handful of snaps per game. So mm-hmm. um, it did feel like though every game they had like a different identity. It's like, all right, they, they you know this game against the Bengals. It's these two pressures and it's these two coverages. And that's what they're doing on third yeah. down. You saw like, all right, it's going to be a cross dog where they're dropping both ends and they're playing cover one behind it. Or uh, it's going to be, you know, like the um, uh, a double stunt where it's like five guys down the line of scrimmage. And it's going to be a three man game to one side and a TE stunt on the other. And they're going to play cover three uh, behind it against the Cardinals. Right. Like whatever the, the game is, this is the third down game plan. And you really kind of get a sense of that as the game went on. You know, one of my favorite plays was against the Bengals. I think it was in the low red zone. They disguised the cover zero, got a free hitter. Burrow still got the ball out, but there was a nice PBU on the play. Yeah. And one of my Anthony major Nelson. points, yeah, one of my major points here was man coverage was solid. You know, yeah. I think occasionally, yeah, they got beat on the rub play uh, deep to Chris Olave, 
which is a perfect man beater. Yep. That was a quick hitting concept. Yep. So it got the ball out and beat man coverage. And occasionally their opponents had quick hitting concepts against their zone match principles, which zone match typically take a little bit of depth and yardage from the receiver to declare. And then you clamp on them like it's man. So if you have a quick hitting concept against that, a lot of times it can be free over over the middle or free underneath. Like we saw, I think Purdy hit somebody over the middle on one. Desmond Ritter hit a touchdown. That coverage was just a little bit late to find it. That's kind of by design. That's how zone match works. You know, yep. you have to kind of let the routes develop. But long story short, I was really impressed with Carlton Davis, Jamel Dean, the young player Zion McCollum. They were challenged in main coverage. They had to show up. A lot of times that ball came out. You kind of know what to expect on third down from these Bucks and from Todd Bowles. So a lot of these veteran quarterbacks, the Joe Burrows, the Matt Staffords, even Lamar Jackson, they got the ball out. The ball's got to be out, yep. Which is going to challenge the man coverage on the back end. I felt like the man coverage did more of their job than the pass rush did. Yeah. So I, I just want to give a lot of credit to the back end that, you know, that ball came out against pressure. And when you know you're sending pressure, you have some you have some less pawns on the back end, less safety help. Uh, and it puts a lot of pressure on those defensive backs. Those kids are big and they are challenging and doesn't matter who it was. Could have been Jamar Chase out there, uh, you know, whoever it was. But Carlton Davis, Jamal Dean, Zion McCollum, those are big corners and they are physical out there. Yeah, I think when you, at the end of the day, when you're looking at, um, you know, the, the the guys that they've got on the back end, you mentioned those corners and they're going to ask McCollum to take on a little bit of a bigger role. Mike Edwards uh, is no longer with him. He left for, I believe, the Las Vegas Raiders uh, this season in free agency. So he's no longer there. So you're going to you're going to lean a little bit more on McCollum would be my guess. Um, and so, you know, you, you look at the that safety picture. I thought Winfield, uh, he showed up both in coverage and also uh, as a pressure. He was a, a part of some of those triple A gap schemes. Uh, we, we used to talk a lot about that when both was back in Arizona playing for yeah. coaching yeah. for Bruce Arians. That was before he got that head coaching job with the Jets, and they did Mike so Edwards much. Went to of that. Uh, Kansas City, by the way. What's that? Kansas City. Mike Edwards could call. Yeah, him. yeah I knew he went somewhere in the AFC West. Um, but I think when you're looking at uh, just the uh, the way they're able to utilize those guys on the back end, um, look, they're going to ask him to play a, a variety of coverages. But at the end of the day, like they're going to try and play zone match or man, and essentially you're, you're trying to do the same thing. You're going to need some tight coverage. They were one of the best in terms of like contested target percentage uh, on third down last year. And, and again, I think that's a credit, like you said, uh, to those guys there on the back end. Um, real quickly, going back to the something we talked about at the top. When you look at a guy like Devin White, it's very interesting because after that Super Bowl run a couple of years ago during the COVID year in 2020, um, you know, Devin White was, you know, kind of viewed as, like, oh, he's the uh, top two or three linebacker in football, uh, obviously made a, a ton of huge plays for that defense. And things have kind of cooled off, I think, nationally, like on Devin White. How do you kind of view like his role, his effectiveness and his value when you look at, at the way that he's used in that scheme? Because it's a very kind of like a niche role, right, uh, in terms of like what they can kind of extrapolate from him. But as you mentioned, that role is also becoming a little bit more uh, common around the NFL as teams are just trying to find ways to get the most out of guys with that kind of skill set. Yeah, you know, he's a really interesting player to study because he's a freak athlete, a very, very rare specimen to study, but still kind of raw in like his football IQ and what they ask him to do as far as you know, reading and diagnosing. So I think they're finding ways just to tap into that athleticism without thinking, whether that's QB spy, how you just have the quarterback match him and go or see ball, get ball uh, type of second level, you know, stack linebacker roles or the stunting blitzing where it's just go and play off of this guy's butt on a loop or a game. So I think he really slows himself down when he has to think. And there's a lot of players like that across the league on Saturdays, Friday nights, the second the mental side gets into it, you start to lose some of the physical. So I think the Bucks do a really good job in finding ways to tap into it. 
But at some point, it's the mental side that allows you to play a step faster and make the right angle and have some anticipatory nature to what you're going to see. And I just don't think I've seen that next step with him. And I think there's players like this across the league. And that's what separates Michael Parsons from everybody. Michael Parsons is a holy crap athlete with pass rush moves. So he's like Devin White, but with one-on-one pass rush acclimate. So that's yep. what makes Michael Parsons a defensive, you know, player of the year candidate for the, you know, seemingly the next 10 years is going to be. Um, but Devin White's interesting. And, you know, I think uh, leaves a little bit to be desired and people don't necessarily know why. He's a really kind of interesting study. Yeah. And just looking around the rest of that depth chart, we've kind of talked about a number of these guys. One guy that showed up a little bit, uh, and you know, because of the nature of these packages, like we don't, you're not going to see a ton of, of Vita Vea on third and long, but there was one, there was one like towards the end. I want to say it was the Cowboys game where you just see him kind of manhandle people. And, and even though like he's a, you know, what a 335, 340 pound nose tackle, he's a guy that's still a part of those pressure packages. We did was, see he him lined up off the ball. As a linebacker year, he was second on the team in pressures last yeah. year. Yep. So like from a philosophical standpoint, I don't need him to be second in pressures. Yep. So they obviously asked him to do a little bit more in the back half with the Shaq Barrett injury and things like that. But, you know, Vita Vea also has to kind of develop some pass rush moves. And I think that's, you know, why they want to go out and get Akeem Hicks last year and kind yep. of just uh, plug somebody else in there with some upfield juice. And go he showed up. It. He did show up, Akeem no Hicks. Question. But again, oh, he's a, he's a big to your boy. point, like you don't want, that's not like an ideal outcome for them. Right. <laughs> and I could absolutely see why you go, you get a Clyde Jacancy, someone that can yeah. win for themselves on the interior. I think this team wants to blitz less, you know, heading forward, give those corners a little bit, you know, more freedom on the back end and maybe let those linebackers play in space a little bit more than just running themselves into guards at times and things like that. So I think keeping Devin white in the middle of the field and being a see ball, get ball tackling machine is more than okay, but we need some guys up front to win and be threats and one-on-ones. And suddenly we don't have to send some extra pressure and the back end coverage gets more help. Yeah, on the on the front end of the defense, they they also signed Greg Gaines from the LA Rams this year. Uh, you know, which I think he's he's kind of like a uh, a complimentary piece that I would imagine, like honestly, when they go to third down, like he's a he gives you a little bit more in terms of like just being like an active kind of disruptor up front. He's a he's a setup guy, uh, in, yeah. you know, from that that end of it. But again, just kind of gives them somebody else up front to to hopefully give you a little bit of juice. Um, and going back to Cansey too, uh, this is a guy that you know a two hundred eighty five pound defensive tackle, extremely light, right? Like uh, he's he's an undersized D tackle, uh, playing the position until he continues to grow into that frame. Uh, what is he going to be on early downs? That's fine, but in this cut up that you and I watched, like. You can absolutely envision a role for that kid as a first-round pick, as a top-20 selection uh, this year in the draft. Hey, really quick, any projections or uh, thoughts from the opposing quarterbacks we just watched? You know, I took a lot of kind of notes on who we were playing, not yep. we, but the Bucks here. Yep. Um, so there were some veteran quarterbacks in there from Lamar and Matthew Stafford. And, you know, uh, Andy Dalton was really impressed with Jacoby Bursett in Week 12. Yep. I thought, you know, that Week 12, the Browns beat the Bucks. And I thought a lot of that really showed why Jacoby Bursett is a coveted backup in this league, particularly on third down against pressure. This guy knows where to go with the ball accurately and never panics in there. Just love seeing that. And then the back half of the year, you saw Burrow Trace, week 15 Trace, and then yeah. McSorley and Darnold. McSorley, oh, that was yeah. a bloodbath there. We know Darnold struggles against pressure. McSorley obviously in over his head with that start. And then the uh, crazy, this Bucks team lost to rookie Desmond Ritter. 
uh, yep. week 18. I wasn't sure if you had any thoughts there on that uh, kind of quarterback lineup. Yeah, I mean, well, obviously we saw, you know, some of the best, right? As you mentioned, we saw Burrow, we saw Dak Prescott, uh, those guys. I mean, Dak Prescott had uh, three complete. He was three of four with a sack uh, against the Blitz in that game. Um, a couple big completions there, two of 10 plus uh, when you look at it. And they tried to mix things up a little bit more than normal uh, in that game from a coverage standpoint. Three different coverages on third down. I would say probably the most uh, that we saw from them uh, over the course of this cut up. Um, but yeah, I, I you know a small sample size from Ritter, so I, I didn't take too much there. Uh, McSorley was kind of a throwaway game for me personally. Um, I think the big thing I, I liked, I did like what I saw from Brissett. Uh, I'm interested to see if he can win that job uh, in Washington this summer if it ends up being him or Sam Howell uh, there this summer. But um, yeah, more more stuff from Bro. Honestly, as we went through and watched more and more, uh, you could see like the, the 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 goal for all these offenses coming in was. Third down, if it's a passing situation, like the ball's got to be out fast. No question. Uh, yeah, no that, question. And you, so you saw like Burrow able to take advantage of that. You saw a couple scrambles here and there from Ritter and from McSorley. But outside of that, it was like, guys, the ball's got to be out if we have any hope of creating anything here against this pressure. I think like Carolina had the right idea. They tried to design some quick perimeter screens against yeah. overload pressures. They just couldn't get the ball from quarterback to receiver yeah, for whatever reason. T- typically an issue in the past game. Right? <laughs> yeah. You can't do that. So I like, the, I like the thoughts and the philosophies. They're just interesting to quickly buzz through them and see like how each team handles it. You know, how the veteran quarterbacks handle pressure, how the rookies, their eyes immediately drop certain teams, the protections, you know, were immediately broken down running backs. didn't know what to do at times. Yep. Some did just interesting kind of quickly buzzing through the different thoughts you have and snapshots of players and schemes. Well, you mentioned, uh, you know, talking about Jacoby Brissett, and I said, I'm interested to see if he will win that job uh, here this summer with the Washington Commanders. That is who the Eagles play in week four uh, here this season. So they play the Bucs uh, on September 25th. The following week, October 1st, it's, uh, I believe... Uh, I think it's the Eagles like second of three one o'clock starts uh, on the season. So it's a lot of uh, of late starts for the Eagles here this fall, but uh, they play the and Washington two of Commanders them are the... against Washington. Yeah, and two of them are against Washington. Exactly. Yeah, it's week week eight as well as one o'clock. And then it's not another one o'clock until I think it's like week 17, week 17 against the Cardinals. There is yeah. a chance the Giants week 18 is one o'clock. But as it stands right now, just three and two of them are against Washington. I can't like wrap my head, dude. Like mentally preparing myself for that is it's very uh it's very weird. But um yeah, it's it should be an interesting one. But that said, we're gonna talk through Washington. I don't know what we're gonna talk about yet. We, we, I don't know what do you what are your where we'll, we'll talk about it offline and see like uh where our heads are at. Well, the quarterback uh, situation, I would love to dive into Percet, but obviously we don't know who's gonna win know. that battle. It's a new Lean, offense. Leaning towards something on the defensive front, as you know, Duran Payne just got paid and is one of the more Allen dominant paid, defensive tackles. Yeah. Um, with obviously Montez Sweat and Chase Young, hopefully they're healthy. All those first round picks on the defensive side. So yeah, yeah, we'll we'll see. We'll see. Uh, but we'll talk about that next week right here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Thanks to Ben. Thanks to all of you out there for your continued support of this show and all the rest of our podcasts here with Eagles Entertainment. That being said, I think that'll do it. Another show in the books here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast for everybody here at the Novacare Complex. I'm Fran Duffy. We will talk to you next week.